Y'all feeling pretty good this afternoon? Yes, sir. Yeah, let's try that again. Y'all feeling pretty good this afternoon? Yeah, yeah. You must be doing well. You're breathing. You're here. The sun's kind of shining. It's a great day. We got four baptisms today. Yeah, yeah. Scioto River. Don't know if they're going to get out of the river, but we're going to get in the river. You know, something I realized in life that the Lord, He's supreme, right? Yeah. How many of you realize that? Yeah. You with me? It's interesting to know that just because Jesus is Lord doesn't mean he's the Lord of your life, though. I don't know if you realize that. Just because Jesus is Lord doesn't mean he's the Lord of your life. The only way he's Lord of your life is you allow him to be Lord of your life. It's a privilege we've been given by a supreme God. It's called free will. You can make your decision to put yourself first or God first. That's up to you. You can live your whole life here on this pathetic earth for self or for God Almighty. And the reality is, is we choose too often to focus on self. Me, myself, and I. I love myself, right? <laughs> so you're looking at me like, well, that was just arrogant. But you do too. You are self-consumed just as well as I am. We are a self-consumed generation. And that's why selfies, we didn't have selfies when I was a kid. It makes me sound really old. But, we, you know, Polaroids, we take, that was our selfie. I have to wait a few minutes, but get to see myself, and it never turned out right. But the reality is, is we are just constantly wondering, do I look good enough? Do I smell good enough? Do I, do I, have, a, do I have a great presentation? Does my, my photos, do they look right? We're always wanting to be right. How many with me? Yeah. Y'all follow me? So there's this question I have for you. What is it that you have elevated in your life? What has become the priority in your life? Because I've been asking myself that question a lot lately. Man, do you realize ministry can be priority for me and I can leave Jesus Christ out of it altogether? I said, that is impossible. No, it's not. We can commercialize church, and I've done it before. I get so wrapped up in marketing and presentation and graphics and social media, I forget while I'm even doing this. You know? And you, you get that way too sometimes because you're serving in the church in what, what, whatever way you can. And you get so wrapped up in that area of ministry, you forget why you're in that area of ministry because we're consumed with what we feel is good and right and we lose focus. So John the Baptist, one of the most unusual characters in the Bible, he's just a unique guy. He's the cousin of Jesus. And in John chapter 3, we read a story, an account, a biblical account of John and his disciples having this discussion about purification, which was a very important part of Jewish history, purification. But Jesus' name came up with John's disciples. Disciple is just a student. John the, uh, the Baptist was a rabbi, just means he is a teacher. And so it was a privilege for a Jewish boy to have a rabbi. If he was selected to be a student and you had a rabbi, what a wonderful opportunity. And you brought uh, blessings to the family in essence. And it's just a super incredible opportunity for this individual to have a rabbi in their life. And so here is the rabbi, John the Baptist, uh, John the Baptist and he's with He's with his disciples, and they're all, they're all amped up. They're so mad, and they're frustrated. It doesn't literally say they're mad. They're just frustrated because Jesus shows up. Jesus is the new kid on the block. 
So John's already been preaching. He's already been teaching. He's evangelizing. He's been baptizing. And then John knows what's about to come because he was born into the world with one reason, one purpose. Y'all follow me? And that was to set the way, to set the path, to prepare the way, if you would, for the Messiah, which is Jesus Christ. John's clear-minded, but the disciples are kind of foggy on this. And so they come to John in John chapter, um, John chapter 3 in verse 29, and they said, there's a problem. Excuse me, verse 27, they said, there's a problem. We, we're concerned about Jesus. They're baptizing a lot of people, and a lot of people are just flocking to him. I mean, come on, John. What about us? What about me? What about you? What about... Y'all follow me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so John speaks into their life in such a profound way. It's like Andy Griffith. And so he says, he says in verse 29, he uses this beautiful analogy to say, Jesus is like the bridegroom and I am like the best man. I'm paraphrasing here. I'm second. All my job is to do is point people to him. He was prophesied. He was born into this world with a purpose and a reason. And I am going to, I, I, I'm going to make the path so straight for people to know who Jesus is. That's, that's what it's all about. But he goes a little further than that. He explains to them that everything we have here on earth is from heaven. Every gift we have, every privilege we have is from heaven. And Jesus himself was sent from heaven all we need to do is focus on what our calling is and set the path for Jesus Christ. And then in verse 30, he says something beautiful that we can apply to our lives, and that is this. He must increase, but I must decrease. He needs to be elevated. I need to be removed. I need the focus to be on him and not to be on me. This is a simple statement that just means Jesus must become greater. And John, myself, somebody's really excited in that hallway right there, a little one. Jesus must become greater in me, myself. John, he said, I must become less. How do you get to that point? Nobody wants to be less. Nobody does. Nobody set out in life to go, I just want to be less than everybody else. I want to be down here. I want to be a nobody. No, that's not what we've set out to do. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want people to know who we are, right? But how far are you willing to go with that? Have you gone so far that you get upset if Jesus gets in the way of that? Like the disciples of John the Baptist where they're like, hey, what about our ministry? What about what we're doing? What about our baptism? John's like, wait, everything we're doing is about him. It's the only reason we're here. And I think as believers in Jesus Christ, sometimes we forget everything we're doing is about him. It's not about us. But we're so self-consumed and we're so focused on ourselves, we lose track of what it's all about. I want to talk about less of me. I'm going to be really brief, okay? I, I say that and a lot of people go, you never brief. But I will be brief today. The biggest question for us to ask is, is Jesus the priority of your life? Is he number one? This is an old scale. It's not balanced very well. And the reason why it's not balanced well is because I have some marbles in here. Some are bigger than the other marbles. And so with these marbles, I think of this. I, I think of how, how they represent our lives, 
and the different areas of our lives. So you all follow me? Some things in our lives are not too big, but they're substantial. And there's some areas of our life that are bigger than other areas of our life. You all with me? Maybe you consider your job primary in your life. And some say, well, that's not number one in my life. In my life, it's my kids. I don't know what is in your life that you focus on the most, but I do have this question for you. What is outweighing those areas? Is it God? Because if I was to say, this is God, if you can follow me, and this is you, this is me, on this side, the question is, how much of God is he getting? How, excuse me, how much of you is God getting? You know, are you with me? How much of it in your life are you willing to give back to God? So what we do is we go to church and say, man, I just want to get something from God today. I just want to get filled with the Spirit. I, I always want to go to church and have an experience, and we think that way. But the reality is this. It's not about us. The reality is this, the Christian life is not dependent on what you get from God. It's dependent on what you give to God. So the question is, these areas in your life, the me areas, what are you giving back to God? What have you done in your life to say you are number one? Think about your finances. Think about your marriage. Think about your children. In those areas, is he greater or are you focused on the wrong things like yourself? Where are you at? I think we have to ask ourselves that question because there's a problem. There's a problem. It's a me problem. It's a me problem. You remember the movie Nemo? Y'all remember? It came out forever ago. And the birds on the dock. And they're like, me, 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 me. And they're all trying to get the, I think it was a little fish or something. Me, 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 me. I feel like that's what I hear every time I go to a gas station, a fast food restaurant, every time I turn on the TV, every time I t turn on social media. Me, 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 me. Look at me. But how can we get to the point where it's no longer about me? It's less of me. How do we make life less of us? I think there's... There's three biblical disciplines that we find according to Romans chapter 12. And I call them disciplines on purpose. And these disciplines are things that we must apply to our lives in order to accomplish this task of being less of me, less about me. So I look at the writings of Paul and he wrote to the church in Romans chapter 12. And he's writing specifically to believers because he calls them brethren. Brethren means brothers and sisters. He says, I beseech you in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable surface. Now watch this in verse 2. He said, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, though grace be given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. <clears throat> to think soberly. I believe right here in this passage of Scripture, there's three biblical disciplines that we can apply to our life to accomplish less of me. And I think 
that if we can make an effort in these areas, our lives will change with blessings that we never saw coming. First thing that he brings out that's a discipline that we need to apply is to live sacrificially. We have to live a life according to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. He said, I beseech you, I'm calling on you to pay attention, brothers and sisters in Christ, by the mercy of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, if you know biblical history, you'll know, you know that according to the Old Testament that a sacrifice was, was required for worship and the forgiveness of sins. That, come, that came in different forms. It could have been a turtle dove, a bull, a goat, most often a lamb. And that lamb had to be perfect without spot or blemish. And it was for the forgiveness of sin. This was a, a, a system that was set in place in the Old Testament for a very specific reason. But they didn't bring that lamb and put it on the altar alive. They killed the lamb beforehand and then sacrificed it. This sounds like something from Indiana Jones. I know it's very bizarre. But it was a reality at this time until Jesus showed up, right? And so according to Hebrews chapter 10, we realized very quickly that the blood of bulls and goats, it's not going to be sufficient. What was sufficient is a final sacrifice. The Lamb of God, as John the Baptist called him, Jesus. 100% man, 100% God, yet without sin. And he had to be that sacrifice. He was truly a living sacrifice placed on the cross and died for all mankind. And the Bible says, according to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12, that it was Christ as the single sufficient final sacrifice for sin. Where am I going with this? Well, the reality is that we no longer use that system of sacrifice. Jesus was the final sacrifice. And those that believe in Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and resurrection have this wonderful thing called new life. It's an awesome thing. And your life is not perfect, but you have a new life. And when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you become a Christian. And, and through Jesus, he's the only door into heaven, right? Just a side note, it's the same way as we see back in the Old Testament when it came to the ark. And Noah built the ark. Why in the world would Noah put a door on the side of the ark? That makes no sense. Nobody puts a door in an ark or a boat of any sorts. But the door was there because it represented one way in and one way out. And that door was, was specifically put there so God could close it and God could open it. In other words, he was the only way to be saved from the flood. And he's the only way for you today to be saved from hell, to have heaven as a home. And he is the door of heaven. Same thing. It's a beautiful picture. But because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that sacrifice that was made, that living sacrifice, now we have freedom in Jesus Christ. But there is something that is asked of all of us. We as believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're asked to be a living sacrifice. Now, what does that look like? Paul said, I get up every day and I die. That's a weird thing to say. He said, I die daily. In other words, I choose to look in the mirror and say, hey, Paul, it's not about you today. It's all about him. I'm going to sacrifice my desire, my heart, my way of thinking for what you want. It's not about me. I die daily. I'm going to be a living sacrifice. You know what's the problem with a living sacrifice? Back in the Old Testament, they would take a dead sacrifice, put it on the altar, and consume it with fire. It was easy. The problem with a living sacrifice is, symbolically speaking, let's not get weird here, but picture this. A living sacrifice is on the altar and we squirm off because <laughs> we're living. 
We say, you know what? Today I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. It's not, about, it's not about me. It's all about you, God. You're going to outweigh everything. I'm going to give you my day, my priorities, my thoughts, my wishes. It's all about, it's all about you. And the next day we squirm, squirm right off the altar. You know why it's a living sacrifice? Because we choose to be the sacrifice every single day. You choose to get up to say, it is less of me and more of you. And this is a necessity when it comes to biblical disciplines to be less about us and more about God. We have to make this a lifestyle every day. But we don't just stop there. We continue in Romans chapter 12. And I love this because we continue and we see that we are to live to serve. Servily. How do you live servily? How do you get to the point in your life where you say every day, I'm going to love God, love others, and serve both. I don't know about you. I'm just not one that enjoys serving people. I don't. So you're a pastor. You're supposed to love people, serve people, be a doormat for everybody in your community. Sometimes that gets old, right? Sometimes you just get tired. Yesterday, I vented to a friend of mine. I vented and I vented and I vented about everything. And then I was embarrassed afterwards. You ever done that where you're like, I can't believe I just said all that. I wonder if anybody was watching. And you're hoping that friend you can entrust not to say something to somebody else. Y'all been there, unless you, can't, unless you don't have any friends. But we've all been there. And I was just venting because I was to a point where I'm like, I don't want to serve. How many people call you often and say, I'm going through something? And you listen. You know what that's called? That's called serving. You say, I'm so tired of problems. Well, Jesus dealt with problems for 33 and a half years. Even when he was a kid, he dealt with problems. But he was there to serve. Here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We must live to serve. One might ask the question, how in the world do you serve the God of the universe? I mean, he's a big God. Where do I even begin? It's simply put in this passage of scripture this way. The only way we serve is in a reasonable way. You say, well, my next question is, what does a reasonable service to God look like? Well, a reasonable service to God looks like this. It looks like holy and acceptable. In other words, it's living right. Let's just sum it up that way. The way you serve God is by getting up in the morning determining, determining to live right. Not according to your community's way of thinking or the narratives that we see on the news or social media. You get up and you say, according to God's word, what is the right way to live? So well, they do it this way. Who cares what they're doing? What is the right way to live? What is the acceptable way, according to God, to live? Simply put, living right. I think Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22 explains it a little better because Paul dives into this. He literally says that you have to put off any conversations and lifestyle of the old man. When you become a Christian, in order to live right, you have to determine every day not to be that way, the way you used to be. Yeah. You ever met somebody that gave your life to Jesus Christ and said, I used to be an angry person, but I'm getting victory over it. You know why? They're determining, they're determining to live right because they don't want to be the old man. That's less of me, more of him. Less of me, more of him. And so I love this word reasonable. It's also translated logical. It's a word that means it just makes sense to live right. Basically, it just makes sense to live right. Nothing comes out of living wrong that is good. I know that's deep, right? It always ends bad. 
And I'm going to tell you tonight, or this afternoon, it is very important to grasp this, that you must determine to live logical, reasonable, and serve the Lord. I don't know what it is in your life that you're willing to give up, to give to God, to make more of Him and less of you. The sacrifices you need to make, the service you need to do. Some people are like, there's no way. Can I tell you something really bothered me last week? Wow, I'm just going to be real transparent. I have no idea who the church is, but I had a young lady that's going on the mission field, and she met with me. We have missions in November, our first missions uh, conference, and we're going to raise support for these missionaries. I'm so excited about the opportunity. And I said, what does the average church give you for support? And she said, well, it depends. She said, I have one church that gives me, are you all ready? Brace yourself. $12 a month support. I said, I can't even get the best meal at Arby's for $12 right now or Chick-fil-A. Are you kidding me? $12 a month? Y'all with me? Yep. Where are we at? The fact of the matter is we are so consumed with self, we forget how easy it is to let go and give back to God. Less of me, more of him. Time, talent, and treasures. Are you willing to give them back? Here's where it goes in this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. He, he clarifies the last biblical discipline, selflessness, being selfless, selflessly living. We'd stay up when my mom would say, go to bed, it's time to go to bed. And then we'd go to bed and then we'd lay there and we'd talk because I didn't, you know, I didn't want to fall asleep. I didn't want to go to sleep. I, me and Tony would have these deep theological discussions. <laughs> Not really. So we'd sit in our bedroom and we'd talk. And I remember the fear of God would hit my heart. You know what my mom would do? She'd come to our room and I could, it was like a shadow, a dark shadow. She'd lean on the door frame and she'd just listen. And then you'd catch, you'd just get a glimpse of her like, oh, dear God, help me. And it was my mom. And she'd say these words, I'll never forget it. Who do you think you are? And I'm like, I am nothing, mother. I am a peasant. I am worthless. But in my mind, I would think that means, do you really think you have more authority than I do to do as you please? Who do you think you are? And here's the reality. Who do we think we are when it comes to God? Who do you think you are? The selflessness requires us to get to the point in life where we realize we were created in the image of God, but we are the creation, not the creator. Yeah. It's less of me and more of him. I want to prioritize him in my life. And if we're going to do this and learn to be selfless, that means I need to be selfless in every area of my life. You know, marriages go really well when you're selfless. <laughs> when you're a selfless child, you usually have a pretty decent relationship with your parents. When you're selfless as a pastor, you can lead well. It's a struggle. Selflessness equals blessings. And I believe this is one of the biblical principles, disciplines that has been laid out in Scripture according to the book of Romans, chapter 12, for us to apply in order for there to be less of me and more of him.